Hi, this is Sandy Simpson from Apologetics Coordination Team. Thank you for choosing one of our podcasts, and I hope that you enjoy it and it's a help to you. Father God, we come before you out of obedience and a desire to to draw near to you and to draw near to our brothers and sisters. And Hi, this is Sandy Simpson again. And so we pray that Thank you, you for would listening use this, to one of our podcasts. For, for your glory. You can come to my to website, Apologetics Coordination and Correction, and to equip us for the or work that you go to our YouTube us. site so called Act TV you will give us and check out our DVDs and books, etc. Thank you so much for checking us out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You kind of had asked me uh, to just clue you in a little bit on my background, and I'll try not to go too long with that. Uh, it is actually a long story, but um, I, uh, my family went out to the mission field in Micronesia in 1962. We were called to go out there, and at that time, there were only two missions, and one of them was a liberal mission. So my parents were looking for this mission, and they couldn't find where it was, and they happened to a guy came by our church and happened to mention that he was driving through New Jersey and saw a sign to this mission called Liebenzell Mission. It was a German mission, and so my my mom wrote a letter to Liebenzell Mission Schoolies Mountain, New Jersey, and it got through, and so they ended up we ended up going out to Micronesia. Um, we went to the island of Palau, which uh, uh, and my parents were uh, went to uh, work in a girls' school there, and uh, a mission school, and uh, we also did a lot of evangel uh, evangelism because at that time uh, there were still some villages that had never heard the gospel, and we were privileged to actually go and preach the gospel in those places and started churches. Um, later on, uh, about three or four years later, I moved, we moved out when I was 10 years old. Uh, a few years later, uh, my mom was just too busy uh, at the school. And so, uh, they sent me off to boarding school in the Philippines, which was a missionary school called Faith Academy. And I ended up going to school there for, uh, and graduating from there. Um, after that, I went to, <clears throat> we were actually on a choir tour. And we went to uh, up to uh, the west coast of the United States, and I ended up going to school in Oregon for a couple of years, and then moved out to Guam and went to uh, uh, went to the University of Guam there. And uh, after that, um, I moved back to Oregon, and uh, I started to uh, I happened to be kind of in the right place at the right time, and got in on the startup of a commercial uh, jingle writing corporation. And uh, I ended up writing hundreds of jingles re for uh, local, regional, and, and national uh, companies, and also f uh, industrial film scores and feature film. Worked at that for about 15 years, and uh, you know, just uh, also uh, produced a number of uh, Christian albums with a friend of mine, named Jeff Johnson out of Arc Records and Sparrow Records and Capitol Records. We did a number of projects. 
Well, at, at, in 1989, the Lord called me to go back out to uh, Micronesia. And I was privileged to be able to go to Guam and live there for 10 years. I did a lot of traveling all through the islands uh, at that time, uh, doing concerts and evangelism and also recording uh, island choirs because they were really big at that time. And then uh, I... Uh, I ended up uh, uh, marrying my wife uh, in 1980 uh, in in Oregon. And uh, so we moved out to uh, Guam in 89, and we moved then to Hawaii in 99 uh, because there were a lot of Micronesians moving, well, to Guam also, but there were a lot of them moving to Hawaii and for medical purposes, et cetera. And um, there was nobody there to really help them. And so because my family is really well known in, in Micronesia, uh, we have a lot of friends out there in every island. So we started a couple of Bible studies out of my house and they were very well attended. Uh, we even had Jacob Prash come out and other people come out and speak to them from time to time. And we would still be there except for the fact that it got way too expensive to live in Hawaii. <laughs> so we moved to North Carolina where we heard it was cheap and we had some relatives here. So I've been ministering in a church here and doing Bible study and Sunday school and running sound and overheads and all kinds of stuff for that church, as well as doing other projects. As you probably know, I, I'm the one who puts out the uh, Be Alert newsletter for uh, Moriel and uh, do a lot of other projects and help them out with uh, article editing and all kinds of things. So I've, I keep myself busy uh, producing a lot of DVDs. Um, a lot of them are on YouTube and also on RTN now. And uh, also I've written a lot of books. So that's what's kept me busy. And the, it's interesting that the story that I, I kind of want to start this Bible study out with uh, happened in Palau. And by the way, this is, a, this is from my Bible study of Philippians. It's Philippians 3.10 through 21, if you want to look at it. Um, I was back there. Uh, I would go back pretty much every summer to help out and do sort of summer missionary work uh, when I was in college. So <clears throat> I happened to be there one year and I loved my favorite thing was to do spearfishing outside the reef because you get these really big fish and it's, it's, it's exciting. Well, one day I was fishing outside the reef with two of my friends and I was spearfishing while the other boys were line fishing from a raft. Very quickly a storm came up. That's what happens sometimes in the islands. But it came up so quickly that within minutes, the waves at the reef were over 10 feet high. Now, I was pretty far away from my friends, as I looked, and as I looked up, I saw them paddling for the reef. The last I saw them was a long bamboo raft tumbling lengthwise, end over end, and disappearing on the other side of the reef waves. Now, one of the boys was only eight years old, and I was afraid he was probably going to die. <clears throat> but at the moment... I had myself to worry about. 
And I looked at the gigantic waves on the reef and the blowing rain, and I decided I'd probably not be able to make it over the reef itself. I looked at the channel that we'd come out of, but I knew that the tide was still coming out, and I would not be able to swim in the channel, especially with the added currents brought about by the storm. My only chance was to swim on the very edge of the channel, and I knew I had to swim in far enough so that I could begin to grab the rocks on the side of the channel and pull myself into safety. Well, that's when my struggle began. I swam as hard as I could in between waves, simply to not lose ground and let the waves push me in a couple feet. And then I would swim as hard as I could, let the waves push me in another couple feet. And I did this probably for about 45 minutes. If I tried to do that today, I'd be dead. <laughs> But I'd almost given up hope of seeing the coral by the channel when I spotted my first rock. And I began to haul myself in hand over hand until I reached the inside of the reef. Exhausted, I returned to the village to tell my story. When I returned, I discovered that the boys had made it in safely and that people were actually worried about me. Well, you know what? I'll never forget that experience because it taught me some lessons. First of all, life is made up of a series of small day-to-day -day struggles, just like I was struggling between the waves. But to strive against the problems and pressures we face today without a goal, or if we lose sight of the goal, it can be disastrous. What kept me swimming toward the inside of the reef was the fact that I had faith that the rocks would be there for me to grab onto. Well, you know what? God gives us in his word, uh, you know, everything that we need to be able to uh, deal with day-to-day -day struggles. But he also gives us the big picture. Seeing life clearly through God's word can save us a lot of heartaches, you know, uh, and, you know, uh, just problems that we have. And it puts our struggles on a, in a different light. No longer are they strivings in vain, but rather we can see ourselves running a race with a firm goal in mind. We can then run with patience. Paul said of himself in Philippians 3, 13 through 14, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So to see where God wants to take you in life, first of all, you have to trust in him and put on patience. That's Colossians 3.12. You have to put your life in his hands. That's 1 Peter 5.6. You have to study his word, 2 Timothy 2.15. You need to talk to him in prayer, uh, Colossians 4.2. And follow him where he leads. That's 1 Peter 2.21 and John 12.27. We need to hang on to Jesus the rock. Psalm 94.22 uh, and 95.1. And he will guide us through the storms of this world to the peaceful waters of eternal life. I'm uh, teaching Revelation right now in the Friday night Bible study in our church. And we're toward the end. And talking about eternity, and I'm telling you, I really yearn for that right now. <laughs> no more crying, no more pain, stuff like that.
Well, God has a purpose for our lives. And that purpose is that we will grow to maturity so that we'll be able to weather the storms of life. That's something that a lot of, te- a lot of churches are not teaching. I mean, the main goal that the Holy Spirit wants us to do is to grow to maturity. The winds of spiritual darkness and waves of the world are frightening if we don't keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. But he wants to equip us to be able to walk through the stormy seas of life and follow him. And that's not going to happen if we remain spiritual babies. I remember one time we were on a boat and that, that big boat was the running board of the boat was only about six inches above the ocean. There were too many people on the boat. There were a bunch of people drunk. There were babies and little children on the boat. And me and a friend of mine were looking around to try to see what we could use as flotation devices to rescue babies <laughs> if, if we went down. You know what? Babies can't swim in rough seas. They're going to drown. Well, adults know how to survive in the ocean. And, you know, that, that's why we need to mature. We need to learn. So you know what? My advice is finish the race. Set your eyes on the goal of maturity in Christ. Fill your mind and heart with his word and go out and put it into practice. Paul tells us how to grow to maturity by pressing on to take hold of what Christ has for us. Philippians 3, 10 through 12. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I already have obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'm thankful Jesus took hold of me. I'll tell you that. I didn't go searching for him. He went looking for me. Paul was resolved to know Christ and the power of his resurrection by becoming like him in his death. That doesn't mean Paul had a death wish, as we call it. It meant that Paul was pressing on to dying more and more each day to self and allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work of sanctification so that Paul could be an effective witness for Christ. This is why so many churches today are useless. It's all about me, me, me. But that's what's so different about Christianity. (laughs) It's all about others and the Lord. (laughs) So we'll not be made perfect in this life except with regards to our legal standing before the Father because he sees us believers as believers in Christ. But our personal perfection is something that the Spirit begins to work on uh, when we are born again and continues through our life. But again, we need to participate in that process, or more accurately, we must agree to that process. Paul said that he made a choice to press on. This is also what every believer must do in order to to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Why? Because if we do not press on, if we do not die to self, if we do not take up our cross daily and follow Christ, if we do not agree to the sanctifying work of the Lord in us, then we could shrink back and possibly be destroyed. That's what the Bible says. 
Read Hebrews 10, 38 through 39. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. That's our goal. We must decide that we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who believe and are saved. Belief is not necessarily one moment in our life. God sees it that way, but we're not omniscient, all-knowing. So we must uh, continue to believe and not shrink back. Paul was uh, determined to stay the course and press on. Philippians 3.13, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know what? Sometimes it's a strain. You have to strain to move forward. To press on, we need to forget what's behind and if you stay in your past, in the sins of your past, in the life of your past, in the culture of your past, you're not going to go forward. And going forward is a strain. It's difficult. We have to leave behind old familiar ways, old sinful patterns, old damaging friendships with the world, old habits, and press on to the new. Why? Because, guess what? There's a prize ahead. The prize is, first and foremost, to be with Christ Jesus. The second benefit is eternal life. The third benefit is a crown of life, a crown of righteousness. We are to lay up our treasure in heaven, not here on earth. That means we are to do the will of the Father now, no matter what it costs. And God will reward us in heaven where our spiritual riches will never fade away. Paul's an example an excellent example of this, and we should follow his example. Would that we all could give our all to Jesus Christ the way Paul did. But you know what? We really must. Philippians 3.15-16 through 16 says, All of us who are mature should take a view, uh, such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Those who are mature in the faith realize that they're in a race. It's a race of time. It's a race against the enemies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's a race that we must run if we are to prove our love for the Lord Jesus Christ and for others. You know, some might paint another picture of how we're to carry out the will of God, and Paul allows for that. But his point is that we must live up to what we've already attained. We have attained sonship in Jesus Christ and justification before the Father. We now have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, not becoming overly familiar with God to the point that we no longer recognize him as a final judge. He's the judge of all. We need to realize that he has given us a great gift, but it's what we do with that gift that makes the gift count. Do nothing, and the gift is pretty much useless. Run the race and live up to the gift, and you'll be rewarded. On to verses 17 through 21. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, 
many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But you know what? Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm waiting for that. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> As I've stated, we need to follow Paul's example. He was a foundational apostle of the church, and here he's not embarrassed to ask the Philippians to follow his example and join with him in running the race to the fullest. We have to run it together. We are to take note of those who are pressing on to the mark and join with them. Conversely, of course, we are to, take, we are to mark and avoid those who are not. That's Romans 16, 17. I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. We are to emulate those who are running the race according to the commands of Christ and to avoid those who do not because there are many enemies of the cross of Christ. What makes them enemies? Well, those who preach another gospel, another Jesus, another spirit are enemies of the cross. That's 2 Corinthians 11.4. Those who teach heresy are enemies of the cross. Titus 3.10. Those who falsely prophesy are enemies of the cross. 2 Peter 2.1. Paul goes on to describe those who are enemies of the cross. He says their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. They, the race they run is to destruction, not to reward. They're fleshly, fulfilling only fleshly appetites. They glory in themselves to their own shame. They're worldly-minded. You know what? This description describes many of the false teachers on Christian TV, frankly. All you have to do is look at how they live their lives to see that they're really enemies of the cross. Don't be fooled by their words. Listen closely and you'll hear false doctrines and false prophecy. Look at their actions and you'll see where they're heading. They're fleshly, glory-hungry, worldly people. We need to pray for their salvation and pray that they'll stop bringing the name of Christ into disrepute. 2 Peter 2.2, many will follow the shameful ways, their shameful ways, and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savor from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, which by the way, he's going to do, will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. Jesus Christ is coming again. And we are citizens of heaven, not of this earth. And Jesus will come to take us to our homeland. I often like the old song by Larry Norman that says, I'm only visiting this planet. <laughs> yeah. So true believers eagerly await his coming, unlike those who oppose the cross of Christ, who think they must take dominion over the earth, or laugh at the idea of the rapture. What a horrible thing. 
And there are many, many of them today. We know that when Jesus comes, that by his power, he will bring everything under his control. We're not called to do that as a church. Jesus will do that when he comes. And when he comes, we will be changed and receive our everlasting bodies that will never wear out. What's our job? To continue the, and complete the Great Commission. Continue to preach the gospel. That's how people are changed. Not from the outside in, from the inside out. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 57, and I'll close with this. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I wanted to give you this today as an encouragement, seeing all the junk that we're going through right now which can actually be quite discouraging. But we can make it through if we run the race with Christ. And that's what he wants us to do. Hi, this is Sandy Simpson again. Thank you for listening to one of our podcasts. You can come to my website, Apologetic Coordination Team at deceptionandchurch.com or go to our YouTube site, called ACT TV and check out our DVDs and books, etc. Thank you so much for checking us out.